You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What's up? It's Caitlin. And Jamie. And you're about to hear an episode that is a live show that we recorded in yes. portland portland never heard of it uh with our fabulous guest katie Wynn. she is wonderful and we are talking about one of the big ones mr mm. fight club <laughs> uh, very was, cool movie that we all love yes it was super fun uh if you're at the show you already know and uh yeah we're excited to have you hear it a few quick notes at the top we mm-hmm. are going on tour again because we're addicted to it yeah so we're going to be on the in the Northeast mm-hmm. again. We've got the following dates locked in. On April 28th, we're going to be at the Bell House in Brooklyn. On April 30th, we will be at Good Good Comedy Theater in Philadelphia. On May 1st, we'll be at the Draft House Comedy Theater in Washington, D.C. And on May 2nd, we will be at the Rockwell in Boston for the Women in Comedy Festival. We're in the process of confirming guests and movies for those shows, so uh, stay tuned. We're also going to be doing a live show at the Ruby in Los Angeles on April 6th at 9.30. We are covering Bring It On with friend of the cast, Maggie May, who you might remember from our Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone episode. And tickets are on sale for that now on our website, bechtelcast.com. Uh, Also, Jamie and I are going to be in Denver in mid-April doing a bunch of stand-up shows. So check out our websites and our social media for more details on that. Uh, And then a couple quick plugs for me personally, your gal, Caitlin. Uh, I'm going to be doing a stand-up show at Penn State uh, University. Ever heard of it? It's where I got one of two of my degrees. It's going to be on April 20th. I still don't know the location or the time of that show but hopefully they tell me soon but um if we've got any central pennsylvania listeners out there check out that show Uh, also i am teaching a three-hour screenwriting crash course 
in New York. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I do have a master's degree in screenwriting from Boston University. I don't like to bring it up, but I am teaching this class on April 28th, uh, starting at 11 a.m., so please sign up for that and learn a bunch of stuff about screenwriting. Uh, and then I'm also going to be doing some additional shows in Boston for the Women in Comedy Festival in early May. So you can check out my website, caitlindrontecom slash shows for all the details you need about all of those things. Uh, and then also you can go to bechtelcast.com for all the details you need about the live podcast shows we're doing. And then uh, we recommend you keep an eye on our social media, our Twitter uh, and Instagram, especially for updates about these upcoming shows. And if you don't live in any of those places, uh, we're working on coming to you soon. And then finally, we just wanted to plug our campaign to raise money for Black Girls Code. And we're doing that by selling t-shirts that say Rise of the Matriarchy. So buy one of those t-shirts to help us support this great organization. And you can grab that shirt at tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast. Sorry that there were so many plugs, but what can we say? We've, we're doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. With that, uh, enjoy, enjoy the, clue. the episode. On the Bechtelcast, the questions asked, you just have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello, Portland! Hi. What's up? Hi. Wow! Here we are. I was, the second we walked out, someone in the front row was wearing a feminist icon Alfred Molina shirt. I'm already losing my mind. Welcome. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I am Jamie, and uh, welcome to the Bechtel cast. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Yay. Man. Yeah. We have been stressing out about this episode <laughs> for days. Like, uh -huh. we're, we're currently on a tour, and this is the only thing that we keep talking about. Yes. Uh, it, we couldn't have chosen a more stressful... <laughs> why did we do this to ourselves? I don't know why we were like, this has to be a live episode. I don't know that that's true. But uh, in any case, here we are, <laughs> regardless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, the t this is going to be... Whew, we got a lot of lore to get into. Red pillin. Ever heard of it? <laughs> you know? It's just, I'm stressed. How are you? I similarly upset that I had to watch <laughs> this movie again. Um, but remember when we all used to love it, though? Yeah. Uh, remember when we saw this poster in someone's room and we're like, this person's cool. probably cool. <laughs> Not like, leave right away. This person's dangerous. <laughs> and they say scary things on Reddit under assumed names. <laughs> like... This is literally if like Reddit, Reddit was adapted into a feature-length movie. <laughs> it's just the scariest yeah. thing I've ever seen. So we're talking, of course, about Fight Club. Uh, yeah. By round of applause. Oh, Caitlin, Caitlin, don't talk about oh, it. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We're not okay, talking no, about. Okay, no more Fight of that Club. ever again. There, I just did something my dad used to do. <laughs> My, my roommate, my um, freshman, no, my sophomore college roommate used to have a Fight Club poster. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was like, she's awesome. But it was like, she hates herself. But um, my dad, I remember my dad was like helping me move in. And he walked in. He was like, huh, don't talk about it, though. <laughs> I was like, 
you're a fascist, you know? It's crazy. Which one of us do you think, though, is Tyler, and which one of us is Edward Norton? I don't know. What does the audience think? Well, actually, we're asking you to talk in full sentences. Um. So instead, let's find out, uh, by round of applause, who has seen the movie Fight Club. Good, okay. doing your homework. And uh, clap if you have the good fortune of not having seen it. All right. A smattering, a smattering. Okay. And then also uh, clap if you've heard our show before. <laughs> that was just to get us all horned up. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and clap if you have not heard our show before. If you were brought... Wow, front row. <laughs> We have, we have a convert. Um, okay, so just to, uh, for, for you, sir, uh, we, we will tell you what the show is about. So uh, as, as most folks here know, the Bechtel cast uh, is a show where we talk about women in movies, mm-hmm. um, or the lack of women in movies, or fascism today, yes. uh, using the Bechtel test as a jumping off. I'm sorry I'm making eye contact with you. <laughs> we use the Bechtel test as a jumping off point. The uh, Bechtel test, of course, being a test invented by Alison Bechtel in which two women uh, with names have to talk about something other than a man for two lines of dialogue or more. Cool? <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, thank right. you for coming. <laughs> Should we introduce our guest? Yeah, I'm so oh excited. My gosh. We've got a guest today. She's wonderful. She does a weekly show here in Portland called Earthquake Hurricane, and she was recently published in The New Yorker. Give it up for Katie Wynn! Hello. Hey! Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for for, uh, joining us for this hellacious journey we're going to take. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, unpleasant Um, (laughs) in so many ways. What's your history with the movie? I watched it for the first time in middle school with my older brother. Mm-hmm. Loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen it since. Uh, and now I am uh, a high school teacher. Uh, yep. And um, I see a lot of gratuitous punching already. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't need that in a film form as well. Do your, do your students still watch this movie? No, 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 okay. no. Amazing. Kids, kids just always be punching. Like. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Caitlin, what's your history with this movie? I saw it for the first time in high school. I had like dated a few guys who all loved this movie and like not for the right reasons. Not that there are any <laughs> right reasons. Have you ever heard a guy be like, it's actually a satire? Like, no. <laughs> They were so enamored with it that I was like, well, it's probably stupid then because I recognized that these guys were, were stupid. And, and Lord <laughs> from the beginning. So I had this, like, initially had a, a, a very anti-Fight Club stance, having never seen the movie. And then a weird thing happened where I finally watched it, and I was like, actually, it's not that bad. <laughs> Again, I, I was in high school, and then I bought it on DVD. Whoops. And... <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, one of those things, like, the DVD sat on the shelf, never really rewatched it uh, until, like, maybe a couple years later, like, a couple years ago, I don't remember. And I was like, oh, this is torture to watch. And that is my history. What's yours? 
I had heard about this is one of this was one of my dad's favorite movies. Yikes, uh, Mike! <laughs> this I know Mike slipped on this one. I think my my dad truly, as I alluded to before, he really just did like the rules bit and <laughs> really. Because this movie came out when I was six, but my dad used to like, when I was playing with like my stuffed animals, he'd be like, the first rule about Jamie's tea party is, <laughs> don't talk about Jamie's tea party. And I'd be like, ha ha, awesome. And <laughs> so I knew what the rules were <laughs> very young. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I saw it in high school, and uh, yeah, I thought it was fucking awesome. Read the book, read a lot of Chuck Palahniuk, mm -hmm. which is how you say it, <laughs> I think. No one is sure. <laughs> There's no canonical way to say it. From what I can tell, it's how you say it. But I read the book, and then I read a couple. I got like really into his books in high school, and then I um, I don't know. I mean, at some point, I was I saw it again and was like, wait a second, what happened? Like I don't know what I don't know. It's hard to tell like where the switch flips. Where was like the moment in time where all of a sudden we were like, wait a second, <laughs> this is about incels. Like this is. <laughs> I'm not sure. I would guess maybe sometime around 2012, 2013. There was a moment, there seemed to be like a vague cultural moment where everyone was like, ah, yes, that was not good for the world. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Well, but I loved it for too long. Uh, yeah. Should I do the recap? Yeah, why don't okay. you do the recap? Okay. Okay. Katie, you're welcome to interject at any time in, in the recap. Yeah. <laughs> Just exercising my right. <laughs> so we meet. The narrator, who... In the book, he's called Sebastian. Which, th that name is never brought up in the movie. Um, yeah, that's a good edit, yeah. Like, film theorists call him it's Jack. Kind of a fun he refers Oscar to Wilde himself thing. as Jack in the movie. So, for all intents and purposes, we'll call him Jack. That's Edward Norton's character. He works in a vague corporate setting. He Boo. loves Ikea. He oh loves no, Ikea. what a freaking loser. <laughs> uh, he has insomnia, so he starts going to these support groups for people with conditions that he does not have, but pretends to have. And, and Meatloaf is there. Meatloaf is, he meets mm -hmm. Bob. I love Meatloaf, um, I'm a Meatloaf stan. <laughs> <laughs> and then after a while, he meets Marla Singer, that's Helena Bonham Carter's character, who is also pretending to have things that she does not have. And he's like, you're ruining everything because you're a faker. The only line that made me laugh in the movie this time was, this chick, Marla Singer, did not have testicular cancer. <laughs> that, still did, that still yeah. did get me. <laughs> so he confronts her, and they like work out a schedule so that he never has to see her again. Then he's traveling a lot for work, and he meets on a plane Tyler Durden. And Tyler Durden's not like the other guys. <laughs> he's a little counterculture. Yeah, he's a conspiracy theorist. He makes explosives. We've all dated someone like that. Um, In which that scene where, okay, there's so many irresponsible things you can do when making a movie. Giving someone instructions to make napalm <laughs> is among the worst things you can do. Yes. And just and especially leading in with, like, it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Fight Club gives you the recipe for dynamite. By contrast, Paddington 2 gives you the recipe for marmalade. So, like... <laughs> Which one's the better movie? Make responsible uh. choices, yeah. 
Uh, I was gonna, uh, par the parent trap, the Lindsay Lohan one, does teach people how to pierce their ears in a way that oh, it seems like almost everyone tried at least <laughs> once. Yeah, irresponsible. Yeah, and Hocus Pocus teaches you how to steal the soul of a young person yes. for your own benefit. So it's true. We learn what we want to learn. <laughs> I think we just learned a lot about all three of us. <laughs> So uh, Jack, the narrator, uh, he arrives home uh, and he discovers that his apartment has exploded. So he calls Tyler Durden for a place to stay. And he's like, I'm so sad that I, all my Ikea stuff is gone. And then Tyler Durden's like, fuck stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and Edward, Orton, Edward Norton's like, I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> he literally has had like three sips of beer and he's like, wait, fuck stuff? <laughs> What a dumbass. <laughs> yeah, and it's like a very like George and Tony like situation from Seinfeld, mm -hmm. where Tyler is Tony, the cool rock climber who eventually loses his good looks, um, and Edward <laughs> Norton is George Costanza. Um, <laughs> so it's like a yeah. Big. And then they they go into a parking lot, and Tyler's like, "I want you to hit me as hard as you can," mm -hmm. and then they punch each other for a while, <laughs> and we're like. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, wonder what's going to happen based on that. Brad Pitt um, says, fuck Martha Stewart. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> and then they like start punching each other more and more. And then it evolves into Fight Club. It like makes them feel alive. And it becomes this like regular Fighting is thing. good and for, and for the boys. And yeah. Yeah, it was what was on everybody's mind. Yeah, everybody yeah. was already doing it apparently, and they just right. organized it. That's what they said. It's just it was a lot of random fights, and they just harnessed the, yeah. the power they of the fights. They just needed an organizer. Yeah, yeah. It's like Cesar Chavez. They you know? needed rules. Like, <laughs> they needed rules, and two of the rules repetitive that you don't talk about Fight Club, uh, and then there's some other ones that it's don't matter. The, it's weirdly the same rules of Jamie's tea party. <laughs> Whoa! Wow. And so I'm breaking the first two rules by How dare you? being here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then we hear from Marla again. She gives our, our friend a, a call, and he walks away from the phone, but then Tyler comes and picks it up, and that initiates their ongoing sexual relationship where he, like, Saves her from committing suicide in a weird scene that we will for sure talk is about. Very weird in this movie. And then she like is there the next morning. He's like, "What the fuck are you doing here?" And then she's like, <laughs> "Well, wait, you're spoiling the end for Fight Club, Caitlin. What? Because the narrator's there in the morning, and he's like, Marlo, what are you doing here? Yeah, but they don't know the end of Fight Club. They don't know. You don't know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Edward Norton and Tyler Durden are the same person. <laughs> Oh, my God. What if someone didn't know? So then they're like, hey, what if we take this, like, fight club thing and, like, make it more serious? And then Project Mayhem is born. And it's such a stupid name. They're like, can um, we get guys to fight each other? Okay. Can we make a fascist organization? And yes, they can. Yes. Meatloaf is there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they're, you know, they're committing acts of vandalism. They're, like, sticking it to the man. They're, like, folk Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> and they're and given, like, getting... specific tasks. It's like those, like, birthday parties you get invited to. And it's like a scavenger hunt. And, like, everybody is, like, so excited. 
And yeah, so they go and they have to blow up uh, certain things and destroy yeah. certain types of businesses. They're very incentivized by like homework assignments, which I have never found men to be. <laughs> no. But well, this is project-based learning. It's the new thing in yeah. education. <laughs> you know, you're making it sound kind of like a good idea. <laughs> uh, and then, at, like at one point, Tyler admits to being the person who blew up Jack's condo, and he's like, "What?" He crashes a car on purpose. He's wild. He's crazy. But so sexy, so we say, okay. <laughs> Project Ma'am is in full swing, and then Jack is like, this doesn't sound good. I, I better go and stop Tyler. But then, like, Tyler disappears for a while, and he basically, like, follows Tyler to, like, the different cities he went to, and he, like, finds out he's been setting up fight clubs all over the place. Yeah. Oh, no. And then at one spot, a guy is like, you're Tyler Durden. And he's like, what? I'm Wild Tyler that it takes Durden? this long. Yeah. For, I mean, t I think technically in the, mo the movie is at least tight enough that we don't see anyone that would know he's Tyler Durden up to then. Although I'm not convinced. That seems confusing, too. But it takes him, like, I don't know. What time span does this take over? Is it like a it couple months? It feels like months? at least a few months. He yeah. said he, at one point he said he had been living with um, Tyler for two months at one point. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it happens fast, but then, yeah, someone has to tell him in a different city months later that he's Tyler Durden. Right. Yeah, you, you would think. So is he just like of. putting on sunglasses and they're like, oh, different guy? <laughs> like, I don't know. I and hate then, David Fincher. And then Tyler Durden shows up in Jack's hotel room and he's like, yeah. I'm you, and you're me, and we're the same person. Yeah, he really breaks it down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The best part is when they do that mime hand-to-hand -hand mirror thing. <laughs> I really wanted when, Caitlin, you said that, for someone in the audience to be like, <gasps> like, wait a second, what? So basically, we all learn that Tyler is a manifestation of Jack's imagination and that he like dissociates and becomes Tyler Durden at different points because Tyler is cool and he fucks good. <laughs> and then he realizes that what Project Mayhem had been planning was to blow up several different buildings that have credit card companies in them to reset the debt and like everyone goes back to zero. Which wouldn't have worked in. because computers still existed. So <laughs> it was nineteen ninety nine. Computers still existed. <laughs> yeah, it was a big like, oh it's in the computer kind of kind of thing. <laughs> destroy the shell and you destroy that. <laughs> More of a oh, hardware <laughs> issue. <laughs> So he like tries to turn himself into the police, and the police are like, "We're in Project Mayhem too." And then uh, he like goes and tries to dismantle the bomb, and then Tyler's like, "Don't do that." And then he's like, "Well, I know how to get rid of you. I'll shoot myself in the head." Uh -huh. And then he and stays like, alive, but oh. Tyler dies. Uh, that's not how that works. Um, <laughs> you know when you uh, shoot yourself in the head and it cures your, of your mental illness? Well, you <laughs> have to stay alive for the Hollywood ending, Caitlin. Right, which is that Marla gets brought in and she's like, hey, you were mean to me. And he's like, yeah. And then they hold hands and then the music swells and then that's the end of the Woo! movie. And then all the buildings are blown up. 
Yeah, that's yeah. It. So, so I mean, <laughs> a powerful narrative to be sure. <laughs> uh, thank you for that recap, Caitlin. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Anytime. Helpful. Where do you um, want to? Oh. oh, oh. Thank you. <laughs> You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Monday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Where should we jump in? I don't know. Uh, this is so stressful. I don't know. I guess let's start with just like a little bit of background for the book versus the movie. Sure. Because um, a lot of my problems with this movie are like a failure of adaptation. Because I, ha I haven't read the book in, in some time, but from everything I, I've read it appears to be a very clearly satirical book mm -hmm. where it's not supposed to be like a blueprint for the alt-right right <laughs> which is literally what the movie is is a blueprint for the alt-right but the book i mean and i think that uh it gets comparisons to american psycho a lot for this reason the book is pretty clearly supposed to be like tongue-in-cheek and the characters are satirical and the way it's written uh, is supposed to make you, you know, like hate these characters. But the way it was adapted was very much not that. Also, the, the book ends differently. The book does not end with... It ends... There was also a Fight Club too. I don't know if anyone <laughs> knows this. I don't know. The Fightening? Uh, book only, right? No movie? Book only. Yeah. Book only. But uh, at the end of Fight Club, the book, he, he does shoot himself in the head, and then he wakes up, the narrator... Uh, who is Sebastian in the book, God knows why. But he wakes up in a mental hospital, mm. and the doctors are like, we're in Project Mayhem, where's Tyler? And then he's like, no, and then the book's over. Then in Fight Club 2... Which is also called Fight Club 2, an extremely fightful An extremely fightful club. Book. Club. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Either one. An extremely works. fighty club. <laughs> And the Spike Club 2, I have certainly not read. It came out, like, two years ago. I don't know if, like, Chuck oh. Palahniuk had some debts or something, but, like, <laughs> by all accounts, it sucks. And it's, like, a graphic novel that starts with the narrator has gotten rid of Tyler Durden and marries Marla, and they're happy until Tyler comes back. And <laughs> Tyler decides to, he's like, Project Mayhem is so 1990s. I'm going to start Project Chaos. <laughs> And then he starts Project Chaos, and then at the end, Chuck 
Palinux in the book, and Tyler kills Chuck Palinux. It sounds terrible, but <laughs> the the last thing that I, I think is like required, like contextualization, yeah. uh, setting up the book to the movie, is that uh, yeah, I mean it was clearly a satire that wasn't adapted as clearly a satire. Or, I mean, based on the people who seem to still love it, uh, <laughs> doesn't seem to be like with any ironic detachment. But uh, Chuck Palahniuk wrote it as a satire. Uh, he had a kind of uh, bizarre troubled life. He was closeted until his early 40s. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think a lot of people even know that Chuck Palahniuk is a, is a queer writer. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of his later books tackle queer topics. And around the time the book comes out, his father died in like a double homicide. Like he's, he has like a, a very like interesting and, and, and troubled and intense background. Um, and... Uh, I guess the last thing I wanted to say on the author of the original story, because I cannot wait to roast David Fincher, is <laughs> uh, Chuck Palahniuk, uh, he is like hard to get interviewed, but when he does, he's pretty like upfront. And uh, he was interviewed in like late 2017 about Fight Club mm -hmm. and how he felt like it had, you know, like radicalized a generation of young men for the worse and perhaps had a net negative on the world. <laughs> and yeah. You know, he's maybe not so sold on that idea. Um, but he, he says that he does understand that uh, Fight Club is a book about Tyler Durden kind of effectively red-pilling this cult that yeah. he creates, but sort of uh, has a take on it that is what you can make of it. I will read a, a portion of this interview he did in, in 2017. Quote, you want to put the book in the movie producer's hand and have them uh, adopt it like a baby, raise it and put a huge amount of energy into it. In doing so, the movie producer's going to change it so that it reflects the movie producer's experience. And once that material passes on to an audience, the audience adopts it. It will become the child of the audience and it will serve whatever purpose the audience has for it. It would be insane to think that the author could control every iteration or every interpretation of the work. Which I was like, huh, that made me think. And then the next question is, do you believe in toxic masculinity? <laughs> and then he says, oh boy, I really don't. <laughs> so, uh, he's, you know, what? he's just kind of all over the place uh, in right. terms of an interesting uh, person. So, so that's the setup for the author of the original work. Yes, that's helpful. Thank you. <sighs> it's confusing. Like, it's just like... <laughs> Everything about Chuck Palahniuk confuses me. It's a lot of hard lefts. I haven't read this book or any of his work. Uh, I, w I was too busy reading Harry Potter 11 times. <laughs> Brag. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, so everything I have to say about Fight Club is as it pertains to the, the movie rather than the book or anything like yeah. that. But there's still a lot to talk about. Yeah. Because, I mean, so much has already been written and said about this movie, especially as it pertains to gender and, you know, masculinity and femininity. Like, a common recurring thesis is that this movie can be seen as a commentary on the emasculate... Oh, my God. I'm Caitlin. Oh, my God. <laughs> the <laughs> the uh, emasculation. Is that the word? Emas Great. Oh, I, that was not... Oh, wait. Emasculinization? Oh. No, to, it's to emasculate, not to emasculinize, right? Yeah, so it's the so emasculation. It's Thank what? you so much. I have a master's degree. <laughs> I'm still in screenwriting. 
in writing, in words, from Boston University. I hate to bring Ooh, it up. Very but stressed I don't know how to read this word. Okay. <laughs> the emasculation of men in American culture. So that's like the, a, a common thesis where it's like, sure. uh, men, are, they like to shop now, so they are not men anymore. Um, so that's yeah. what has often been commented about this movie. Okay, I was curious, uh, what was like the general shit? I mean, if you haven't seen this sh movie since you were in middle school, what were like the, the big things that stood out to you on a rewatch? The, f the fascism part, that I definitely didn't pick up on that at first because um, I didn't know what it was, <laughs> uh, even though it was all around me. <laughs> it's like God. <laughs> <laughs> It, the, how grandiose the plans got and how like successful he was as Tyler, as Tyler Durden, that's yeah. what really stood out to me the most because now as an adult, I realize how easy it is to fail. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> the fact that his alter ego, of which he was completely unaware, is like incredibly successful at literally everything he does yeah. and is very charismatic and people like him and he has sex and, and he knows how to make bombs. Um, <laughs> it's... Like if if I could create an alter ego and be way more successful at that, like yeah, like I <laughs> dissociate away. Yeah. yeah, like technically, Project Mayhem should have been like a fire fest, like in terms of how it played out. <laughs> like it just should have been like, who's in charge here? What? Yeah, bring what Tyler Durden in to run Firefest, and you don't need the documentaries then because it goes off without a hitch. I want Amazon Prime to release a Firefest documentary where it's like Tyler Durden and Ja Rule. <laughs> and Ja Rule's like, I want to wish a happy birthday to Tyler Durden, the coolest guy in the world. Uh, yeah, that's a guy I hadn't even thought of that. Like, there's, there's no way that this should have worked out. And it's also not even like we're made to think that Edward Norton's character is like hyper competent. He seems like that's like the opposite of what his character is. He's no. very average. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the whole point. He's the everyman, but mm -hmm. within every man lurks a Brad Pitt. <laughs> 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 is it not the, the message of the movie? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was there was a great video that we highly recommend to to all listeners that a uh, past guest of our show Maggie Mae Fish made about this movie. It's all about the fascism undertones of this movie, so which we will only lightly get into. So definitely watch that if you if you want to uh, learn more about it. But she opens her video so funny where she, uh, she says, there's a guy who's really cool and has a lot of sex and fights and always wins. And that awesome guy is me. <laughs> 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 It's literally the movie. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's all it is. It's like, if you feel like an Edward Norton, don't worry, dog. <laughs> <laughs> you are a fuck machine. Oh, gosh. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the romantic relationship. I'd like to start there because that's pretty much the only context with which Marla Singer exists in this story. Because right. we have pretty much exactly one female character in the movie. Her name is Marla Singer. You, there's a woman named Chloe, and we can touch on her, but she gets yeah. maybe 30 seconds of screen time. Not that Marla gets much more than that. This movie hates women in a way yeah. that I never, like, with each subsequent viewing, I recognize something. Like, this movie has absolute contempt for women and right. all things 
vaguely feminine. True. Yeah. Yes. So if we're looking at Fight Club sort of as like a love story, uh, <laughs> which it is. Because, I mean, the movie opens with the narrator saying, like, because we, we see all the imagery of, like, Brad Pitt has a gun in Edward Norton's mouth. Uh, and we're like, oh, phallic. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, yes, and King. And they're talking about all the bombs <laughs> and stuff. And uh, the voiceover narration says, like, all this is happening right now because of a woman named Marla Singer. She ruined everything, the mm-hmm. movie. <laughs> yeah. And then... The, the middle of the movie is this pretty much ongoing sexual relationship between her and Tyler Durden, which is Jack, the narrator. Ugh, imagine if you were, like, just having sex with Edward Norton. What a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the end, like I said, is, Got like, him. them holding hands. They're looking at each other kind of googly-eyed, and, like, the music swells, and we're like, oh, what a moment they're having. But this just like feels like the type of romance that Hollywood thinks appeals to men or that should appeal to men because this is a relationship where like Jack has all of the power over the woman. He is constantly mistreating her and uh, she keeps coming back despite all that. And then we're meant to believe that the, one of the reasons that she does come back is that he is just so good at fucking. Like he fucks her brains out and it's amazing and that's like- why she's putting up... Edward Norton is, <laughs> I mean, you know, and as someone who's returned to Dick that it was not admirable, like, <laughs> you're like, Edward Norton, okay, <laughs> like. But a movie like this, like, sends a message to, like, you know, the teenage boys that I was trying to date in high school that are like, oh, you can, like, treat women like shit, and, like, they'll just come back to you if you have a dick. And to young women, I think that the implication of this movie is, like, men are more complicated than they appear, which I have not found to be true. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's a whole other person in there. That's... (laughs) It's not true. <laughs> it's usually just the one. I mean, yeah. Like, the context in which they met, too, is just kind of weird thing because it wasn't like a common interest so much as like, how do you have as many problems as I have? Um, and then just like meeting up in like a very commiserative kind of like way, which right. is like super romantic. Um, <laughs> when somebody sees you miserable, that's really hot, right? And just then like, like negotiates with her so that he never has to see her again. But right. at the end, they're in love. <laughs> Their meeting is really is, is really interesting because like the way the movie introduces her, because this movie is so voiceover heavy. And David Fincher, apparently, I was oh god. The more I read about this person, the more I just want to just I don't know what I just thought of five horrible things and I won't <laughs> say any of them. But um, he made a movie that was like, no, Mark Zuckerberg is cool. <laughs> like he's horrible. He's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg is above all things not cool. not cool. <laughs> He's also waging wars in foreign countries, but above all, he is not cool. Uh, <laughs> but David Fincher said he fired a producer who said that the voiceover sounded stupid, <laughs> who may have been the smartest person working in the movie. Yes, but the way, anyways, the way we meet Marla, like immediately. She is framed as kind of like a femme fatale kind of character where she's taking a drag on a cigarette. She's wearing the tilted hat. She's like framed as like the dirtiest, grimiest possible version 
of a femme fatale. And the yeah, the voiceover literally says she ruined, she ruined everything. everything. She's a parasite. Yeah. And then explains, I mean, in a more like clear way than I remembered, that the reason that Jack doesn't like her is because she reminds him of himself, mm-hmm. which is an interesting theme and could, I think, speak to how some toxic relationships work, but the movie doesn't do that at all. It then just spends the, the rest of the, their story distracting you from what Marla is going through mm-hmm. by you not knowing what's going on. And then on a second viewing, it's more just like showing what the magic trick is and like, oh, I guess she really would be confused and hurt here. Oh, well. <laughs> right, like, which I want to go over the, like, story beats of the movie from Marla's point of view because she is in an emotionally abusive relationship. With Edward Norton, with Edward honestly. Norton. So, no, yeah. Not she, even Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> like, she meets a guy who is, like, very contemptuous of her, uh, and then she calls him because she's in the middle of what may or may not be a suicide attempt. Hard to really hell because the movie does not handle suicidality or mental illness well. No, it, it makes it seem like a bid at attention right. and wanting to see someone again which is like, we don't even need to say it's fucked up, but it's fucked up. Yeah. And then apparently he like takes her and like brings her back to his dilapidated house and then like fucks her better than she's ever been had sex with before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that, but... Um, and then the following morning he acts as if he has no memory of them having sex or hanging out or anything (laughs) like that and then he's like what are you doing in my house and she's like well fuck you then and then like leaves because at this point he does not know that he's Tyler Durden and it takes two hours for us to figure it out (laughs) and then this pattern repeats itself for again what we can assume to be months and then she shows up at one point toward the end and he tells her to her face Tyler's not here that would be like if I came to your house Jamie and I was like hey Jamie and then you were like Jamie's not here (laughs) that's like dating Edward Norton and and being like Edward Norton's not here right Right. now and you'd be like ew I guess I'm not dating Edward Norton anymore (laughs) Also, he's, like, holding, like, a handle of liquor when he's saying that. Like, why wouldn't you just assume he's drunk? Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. I mean, it's, like, I th- nothing about their relationship. And I think that that kind of speaks to, like, some of the, like, counting on the audience to be paying more attention to the magic trick than the characterization. Right. Because it does seem like if Marlo were written realistically that she would catch on sooner. But the way women are written in this movie are as complete idiot incompetent consumers, which is expressed through the, like, I'm selling rich women's fat asses back to them when Tyler starts making the soap and selling it. Like, there's no female character that is made to seem anything less than completely oblivious, and that includes the the Chloe character as well. Like, it's just... Yeah, that's like I mean the whole setup of the movie—the fact that we're going in and out of his mental illness and from his point of view—makes it such that she can never be an expert. She can never know anything. He will constantly be both the expert and the person discovering themselves throughout the journey. So she can have no input whatsoever because we're just seeing what's going on in his head. So like it's set up so that she has no input or any impact whatsoever. Right. What's going on with him? Totally. Yeah, she would have discovered in months. I mean, like, would you not figure out that the person you're with is dressed like you know? At least something wasn't right. You know, it's like. 
it seems like they were spending, I, I mean, I guess I don't know how much time they were spending together, but she seems invested in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I, she's also not a real person. So I was like, I don't want to hurt her feeling. Like, she's, <laughs> right. she's fake. Well, there is a theory. Some, you know when you go on to jackdurden.com and spend <laughs> two hours reading about a fan theory? Caitlin got how, real tin hat about yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> It presented some compelling arguments that both that <laughs> JackDurden.com, yeah, that both Bob and Marla, like the Tyler Durden character, are figments of Jack's imagination. Which I'd buy that. It feels there's a lot of clues. I'm not gonna, you oh know, go conspiracy theorists on anyone, but. So she might not even be real, but I think that's not really helpful for us to talk about because the movie at least presents her as being real. So a person who, yeah. But and then the rest of their relationship is they meet up somewhere and he's like, oh, the full extent of our relationship had not been clear to me until now. Sorry, I haven't been treating you so well. And then in his apology, he says, give me 15 seconds and shut your mouth and don't move. <laughs> So that's really nice. Hot. And then <laughs> she's brought back at the very end uh, against her will. And then he's like, you caught me at like a really strange time in my life. And the she's like, hold hands. Head. Yeah, he yeah. just shot himself in the head. And then she's like, better hold hands with him. <laughs> yeah, maybe like hold his jaw. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what he needs. <laughs> yeah, he needs medical attention. Uh, Tyler, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the movie, like, skips over all the complexities of a woman staying in a relationship with an emotionally abusive partner. It, like, glosses over all of that. And, yeah, it does make her out to just seem like a a crazy, desperate idiot. Right, which is how Tyler views her, at least, and sort of uh, alludes to that several times. But the movie does nothing to challenge that, which means it's a poor adaptation of a satire (laughs) if it presents a stupid idea with... No, like it's just oh mm-hmm. god, David Fincher, you fucking idiot! <laughs> I can't stand him. There, okay, some things David Fincher has said. Sorry, <laughs> literally, David Fincher has said, "quote I think a film set is a fascist dictatorship." Uh, so, if you want any <laughs> ideas on how David Fincher feels about fascism, besides the fact that he made a movie about how Mark Zuckerberg is cool. That direct quote might be helpful. That I, I mean, maybe his film sets are fascist dictatorships. It sounds like they are, because he's like the director that does a shot. Like he's like, I'm an auteur, which just means I'm emotionally abusive to people around me. Um, <laughs> but he like makes everyone do the same shot like nine thousand times, and then like I don't know, he's an he's an icky guy. Boo. Hey, Jamie, what Y'all? do you say we take a real quick? break and then we'll come back for more sounds good to me all right all right you deserve a moment to yourself every single day and a delicious bite of a keebler sandies can give you that comforting pause (sighs) celebrate the end of your workday with the melt in your mouth magic of a keebler sandies this magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by ernie and the keebler elves So as another busy Monday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. 
Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Marla, I don't know how much validity this has, but I did write in my notes that she's a manic pixie nightmare girl. <gasps> oh, we've got, okay, people like it. Good. Because um, she's like doing all this stuff where she like walks into traffic and just like stands in the middle of the yeah. road. She's like stealing other people's clothes from a laundromat and then taking them immediately to a thrift shop to sell them. It's like she's if like, Zoe Deschanel did meth. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> There's her famous line of like, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. I'm sorry, I haven't been had sexed with like that since grade school. <laughs> which, is, which is unfortunately kind of like a subtext that is used in, in stories a lot to like imply that like this woman is damaged because she was sexually abused as a child. Right. Like it's uh, real classy. Yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, so, yeah. for a character you're not even intending to write. And then in Maggie Mae Fish's uh, video essay about this movie, she also points out that the way that she's framed by the camera is that the camera's often above her and like cinematic language dictates that we are like literally and figuratively looking down on her. Like it's a way to convey that she has no power. And then conversely, like Tyler Durden is often shot with like an upshot. So he's, he's made to seem like powerful and empowered and all of that. So Yeah, really an abs based <laughs> culture. And then just like the way that the men talk about Marla, the Jack says at one point, I'm gonna grab that little bitch, Marla Singer, and scream at her. And then we see his fantasy where he does, which is yeah. awesome. And then a little later on Tyler says, Oh, you fucked her right. And then he's like, She's limber. A silly coos, which I had to look up what that meant. It Isn't basically that something means, you hold a beer in? Uh, that's a koozie. Oh. <laughs> it's a diminutive of coos. <laughs> uh, yeah. Is it coos a small is, beer coos? It's a, yeah. <laughs> it's basically like a, a slut. Um, and mm. then he says something like, oh, she's in love with sport fucking. Yeah, so it's just constantly like Tyler's talking about her as though she's an object. Yeah. Jack is talking about her as though she's a parasite. She's repulsive, yeah. I mean, and, th and then there's that one scene between Jack and Marla that seems to be their whole relationship and sort of like as close as you can get to the movie statement on who she is where there's that question of what does a weaker person get by latching on to a stronger person when like Jack asks Marla that directly and she responds as if that is just true and that's how their relationship is and she accepts the fact that she's the weaker person and he's the stronger person mm. and even though at this point in the movie we don't know that they're the same person <gasps> uh sorry <laughs> spoilers that you know she just passively accepts that she's the weaker person in the relationship which is not how that argument would go for 
no one I can think of. If like, so you're like fully the sub, right? So like, why am I so amazing? Like, wh- <laughs> who would have? Who would have that? Or like, it's just totally irrational, even in the world of the movie, that that conversation could happen so directly. Yeah, right. <sighs> but she's written in such a like one-dimensional way yeah. where she can't respond. And also, like, gender essentialism is like at full blast in this movie, where women are women in the most traditional possible sense where they're, you know, like what we were talking about with a lot of things about Marla's character where she's, you know, she's emotionally dependent on him. She cannot go on with without him and she needs the strength of a man to go on. Like, And on the other side, I mean, this movie's more famous for being like male gender essentialism of tough boy fight, mm-hmm. uh, no homo, but we're almost kissing kind of vibe. And <laughs> like... Given this movie's attitude towards men, the way Marla and Chloe are written, like, kind of line up with that, like, essentialist view. Sure. Uh, but, you know, it's wrong, and this movie is wrong about <laughs> everything. Well, yeah, like, satire is, like, really dangerous if it's not taken seriously. Like, you know, like, Rachel Ray was definitely satire, and then they gave her a talk show. Um, <laughs> But I mean, like, if, if, if people are, if the majority of people consuming it are interpreting it in the wrong way, then obviously it's that negative. Like, it's not, it's right. not helping, it's only hurting. And then at that point, you're doing a disservice to society and, like, generations to come, because I think it's still popular. I still see those posters. People, yeah. I, I really hope people still don't watch this movie, but I think they do. It's, I, I, if you're a youth out there <laughs> and you're considering watching Fight Club, Try not to. Like, just don't watch it. (laughs) I don't believe in encouraging young people to watch problematic movies as a study. I'm just like, just forget it ever happened. It would, (laughs) we would all be better off. And unfortunately, there's not that much to talk about about Marla otherwise, because that's really all you know about her, is how she exists in relation to either Tyler or Jack. Especially because she, like, disappears for large chunks of the movie and, like, is not on screen for, like... 20 minutes at a time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but going back to, you know, the satire and the message that the movie is attempting to send, which is that, you know, consumerism is bad. Stuff is bad. Which is, like, true, but the answer to consumerism isn't fascism. Like, <laughs> Right. Seems like really uh, shooting a Band-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because, like, I mean, you can kind of boil down this story into the Jack narrator character being so upset that he's bought into consumers' culture. And part of that is, like, him feeling emasculated. He's like, I buy Ikea, and I know what a duvet is, so I'm feminine, and that's horrible. I'm going to blow up everything I own. So it's basically equating... Well, first of all, it's like, well, women be shopping. (laughs) Um... And it's equating, like, consumerism with, like, femininity. Right. So And how that's horrible. Anything feminine is, is bad. That's the most confusing, like, equalization this movie does is, like, consumers equal women equals bad. And then just, like, uses the transitive right. property. Like, oh, women equal bad. Sick. Like, <laughs> the... Because everything Tyler says about consumerism is made to sound super feminist. Like, the way he's saying, like, in that conversation where Tyler's about to be like, I'm hot, punch me, you know? Mm. Like, his whole selling 
Jack on on the idea of like stuff is bullshit is he's like condemning the idea of homemaking or nesting. He uses that word mm-hmm. specifically, uh, which is like associated with women, especially like in the 90s. And then like part of the reason I think this movie was able to come out because two years after this movie came out in 1999, it couldn't come out. You couldn't make a movie about domestic terrorism in 2001. Uh, I wonder why. <laughs> because of Shrek. Because of, of Shrek. The big... The big <laughs> event of 2001. <laughs> so because Shrek's on the horizon, uh, everything Tyler is saying is like, consumerism is making you a girl, and so the way to not be a consumer is to be a boy. Which is, what? And like, <laughs> that's literally what he's saying. He's like, fuck Martha Stewart. Punch me in the mouth and kill your friends. Like, wait. He it's doesn't just, just say fuck Martha Stewart. He says fuck Martha Stewart. Martha's polishing brass on the Titanic. <laughs> Titanic. Okay. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, it's like don't be a girl who shops. Be a man who fights other men until is, you're like punched into a bloody pulp. Which is like one of the more frustrating messages of this movie. Because if it was just like no one should be a consumer, I still wouldn't be like, okay, so we should engage in domestic terrorism. (laughs) But, like, adding that middle step of, like, because consumerism exists, like, it just totally blames consumerism on women who, in the 1990s, are the primary, like, products are pushed more at women because women are the primary consumers of beauty products and fashion products and home products because of the way society's worked since forever and that's mm-hmm. not but it, but there's no accountability in like Tyler's creed of like yeah and there's these billionaires that are like making it impossible to be a woman who exists without these products like that is never addressed it's right. just like yeah they buy it they're fucking idiots let's make soap and like it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like it totally blames American consumerism on women, where even if women are a large amount of American consumers, and they are, part of that reason is because of how society is set up, where you know women have to, in theory, engage in consumerism more to be considered legitimate. Right. right. And obviously, it's men in power who are making upstream or making the decisions that are causing the women downstream to consume more to begin yeah. with, because we're not the ones making all those decisions. We're not trying to spend more money. Right. We just want pockets, all right? (laughs) Just want a job. (laughs) Uh, Some respect. Which is still frowned on. And along that same line is, like, the movie's obsession with testicles, dicks, dildos, breasts. Yeah, Yeah, it's like... Peas. All of these... Caitlin, don't say those words. Please say peepees in front of me. Peepees. Everyone's peepees. <laughs> and nuts, sacks. Don't say that. Definitely <laughs> don't say that. Nards. But there's all this talk of Bob not having testicles uh, because they had I to be removed because Bob. of his testicular cancer. Uh, and he's all like, I'm still a man, right? And uh, then he grows what are described as bitch tits. Can we talk about Bob? Because I, first <laughs> what of What about Bob? Hmm. What about sorry me? <laughs> I just first of all I love Bad Out of Hell and Bad Out of Hell too, mm-hmm. and I love Meatloaf. 
And I think, thank you. Meatloaf, okay, Meatloaf kills it in this movie. Fuck everyone who disagrees. Meatloaf absolutely destroys. Meatloaf is interesting and cool. Meatloaf was there when JFK was assassinated, but he was like 10. But that's just a fun fact about him. Mm. <laughs> he didn't do it, but what if he did? Wow. <laughs> New theory. Anyways, Meatloaf is good in this movie. Just had to say that because I really, I'm just like, why didn't Meatloaf get more roles? Answer, according to everything I read, because he's mean uh, <laughs> and difficult to work with. So... <laughs> Anyways, Meatloaf does a good job in spite of his personal, uh, you know, shortcomings. Uh, but the Bob character in general is so frustrating because he is the only man in this entire story who is capable of emotion, or like the only character we get to know who's right. capable of emotion, who's capable of empathy, who's capable of building like non-sexual relationships with other men mm -hmm. like it just he's able to do a lot like he's by today's standard i'd like to think like a a, a better feminist definition icon feminist icon bob <laughs> where's the shirt where's the shirt? i it's and it's like and i even when I saw this movie the first time, I'm like, man, Bob fucking rules. But what I was probably saying was, I love Bat Out of Hell, and I love <laughs> Meatloaf. But his character is the only man we get to know in the story capable of emotion and empathy. Right. And it is made out at every turn to look ridiculous, to look emasculating, to look embarrassing, that a man capable of empathy is not a man, is the message. To the point where, like you were saying, like he's given like essentially Large female breasts, breasts. Yeah. and he his testicles are are taken away from him by the story and it's just meant to you know it's clearly saying a man who can empathize with other people is a woman is not uh -huh. a man and women as we know from the transitive property are bad yeah. <laughs> and so what happens to bob which i don't think we we hit on in in the recap is bob is radicalized by Tyler Durden uh, and he comes Meatloaf is really acting the hell out of this scene he goes up <laughs> to Edward Norton he's like have you heard about this club <laughs> and he's like uh, there's a couple rules but the first rule is I can't say anything <laughs> and we're like oh Meatloaf you're great and but he <laughs> so anyways Meatloaf joins Fight Club and we're like no and <laughs> and then uh, Meatloaf joins Project Mayhem which also requires, I mean, it's, it's extremely fascistic where they're oh, like, yeah. the rules for Project Mayhem, if you can pass muster and getting the shit kicked out of you by strangers every week, is you get to stand outside Tyler Durden's shithole house for three days while being called a number of epithets, and then you can go inside his shithole house <laughs> yeah. and work for free. <laughs> uh, but first, you have to become a skinhead. You have to shave off all your oh, hair. Oh yeah, the like yeah, the fashy imagery is strong. Mm -hmm. And like yeah, you're stripped of your identity. And you lose your name. Yeah. yeah. So so Bob enters Project Mayhem, and then in one of the Project Mayhem outings, and this is the most frustrating, ridiculous death I've ever heard. And the movie makes you think it is so fucking cool and righteous. Is Bob is smashing in the window of a Starbucks mm -hmm. and is shot to death. And 
they killed the only man capable of empathy. And then Tyler Durden brings him back to the shithole house and is like, this was worth it. <laughs> and everyone's like, uh-huh. And then they finally give Bob his name back. Yeah. And I just wish that they had chanted, his name was Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have been a powerful scene. <laughs> Certainly. But Bob it's was just horrible. Yeah, Bob wasn't even just like the only one capable of empathy so much. He's the only one that really showed any genuine emotion. Like when he he was sad before, he was like jubilant when he joined. He was super excited about it. None of the other members of Mayhem, including Tyler Durden, including Edward Norton, actually really showed any kind of excitement or disappointment. Ang- anger is like the only other thing. But he showed yeah. any, even Marla didn't really show much Right. Other than frustration, like bouncing off. But like he was the only one who had who was a dynamic character and that's I guess he was kind of like our straight man. He was the person we were supposed to like. Mm -hmm. So that when he died it was and there's and there's a few moments where at least Edward Norton's side of the character shows some if not like not empathy, but some sort of attachment to Bob because you remember the scene where Bob's standing outside and Tyler's like, fuck you, get out of here. Yeah. But then Edward Norton goes after him and is like, no, join my club. And <laughs> and effectively killing Meatloaf. Right. Just like Meatloaf saw JFK get killed. So wow. really a full circle. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> I can't believe Meatloaf saw JFK get killed. That's so interesting. Yeah, that's, that's why. R.I.P. JFK. I mean... <laughs> I say it in every episode. <laughs> but now more than ever. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on uh, regarding the movie's like fixation on like, oh, if you have testicles, you're a man. If mm-hmm. you have breasts, you're a woman. Like that that's just like a very cisnormative stance yeah. to take. And of course the movie wasn't thinking anything about that besides just like, oh, how dare men ever be emasculated in any way it's horrible if that happens it's so yeah it's so essentialist and it's so yeah disregarding of anything outside of cis het norms and and it's again bizarre and frustrating because it is a story that was written by a queer author who deals with a lot of queer topics and deals with uh trans characters like later in in his books and so it's just like i don't know this book is just is is so repressed it is mm. it is repression for for two hours it's so long more two it's like two hours and 20 minutes how it's dare they i just the only I, movie allowed to be that long or longer is of course titanic um i mean yeah. <laughs> and i'd say even about the about the testicles too they didn't just use it to defend the men's masculinity they also use it they had marla very explicitly state that she does not own testicles it's just like another like looking down mm-hmm, on right. pointing out the fact she's not like she doesn't have this and she's hanging out with these people who don't have this and that's why they don't deserve it yeah so i mean it's yeah i think we assumed that like we assumed that she didn't but the line was even that funny no it was a hack line I love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is true that, that the, the normativity of, I mean, and even the way you see the room full of men who, uh, with the exception of Marla and Jack, don't have their testicles anymore, they are suddenly reduced to these comically emotional sobbing wrecks and the subtext of that is because they don't have testicles anymore and the one man we see speak in group says his wife left him because his he didn't wife. have his wife <laughs> it didn't <laughs> left him because he wasn't able to give her children mm-hmm. which both implies one women are bad and also implies that a relationship can only be one exact way or it will never work right 
and so, you know, fuck. <laughs> Here's a fun line that gets said in the movie. Um, it's Tyler. He's in a bathtub. He says, we're a generation of men raised by women. I wonder if another woman is really what we need. Because they're talking about whether or not they should get married, basically. Uh, uh, that whether, well, oh yeah, because that's the same scene where Edward Norton's like, I'm 30, I can't handle nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a 30-year-old boy. boy. And you're like, boo. <laughs> <laughs> Grow up, bitch. Like, <laughs> you live in a shithole. I want to yell that at every 30-year-old man I know. <laughs> And then also um, there are various references to the Jack character feeling alone because his father abandoned him when he was a kid, which kind of suggests, it's like the movie suggesting that a lack of a male presence or a father figure in his life might be responsible for like whatever That's, mental yeah, illness well, break that's happening to you him. You grew up without a dad and then later on you want to make up for all that lost fighting time. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> music for fighting wherever you get it. <laughs> Is that you, Tad? Oh. <laughs> Tyler's me. just ho hoping he'll accidentally hit his dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's like very much a, a, a Palinic message where in everything written about his book, he's like, well, there's not enough good male heroes for men. And like, <laughs> you're just like, That's the hill you're choosing to die on? Read the room, <laughs> you <laughs> dummy. But um, yeah, yeah. I wanted to touch really quickly on the time period where this movie is coming out because the book was released in 96, the movie is released in 99. So it's all like second Clinton administration, which does explain a lot of the hatred of the consumerism because this is like when the, when the economy is doing relatively well. And so anytime people have a little bit of money, you know, they're like, hey, wait, who has my money? And they get angry. Mm. Fair. Mm -hmm. uh, consumerism sucks. That said, I do enjoy products. So <laughs> confusing. But, uh, but the way it connects to, to women, and I was trying to do some research connecting, you know, like why does this book and then the movie make such an unapologetic women equal consumers equals bad like equivocation. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about, there's so many villainized women in the 90s, and there's also a, a lot of feminism that comes up in the 90s. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on at once that made men angry at mm -hmm. women. So on one side, in 1994, you have the Violence Against Women Act, um, which did a lot of net good in theory for American women. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is put on the Supreme Court. There are a number of good things that happened for American women around this time. However, a lot of the main 1990s American women that are remembered are remembered as villains of the moment, and that's like your Monica Lewinsky's, and your Anita Hills, mm -hmm. and your Tanya Harding's, and your Hillary Clinton's at times, uh, of different women who were villainized for being too something or other, and right. then the, the general public and like literally everyone would just kind of run with the narrative of like they're fucking things up and feminism have empowered these figures too much and now they're wrecking society. Yeah. And so that's as close as I've gotten to uh, <laughs> why it is so easy and why people were so responsive at this specific time to like, oh yeah, it makes sense that women are ruining everything and that the answer is to be, is like old school 
machismo and 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 killing meatloaf god <laughs> killing meatloaf's never the answer i don't think i agree <laughs> thank you can we touch a little bit on the portrayal of mental illness in this movie yeah let's do it oh someone mm -hmm. just inhaled deeply <laughs> <laughs> i mean the the jack character has some unidentified well he has insomnia and he's like when you have insomnia, you're never really awake and you're never really asleep. What? As someone who has insomnia, I can attest that that is not true. Um, so that that's wrong, first of all. And then he has some other unidentified mental illness where he is, yeah. you know... He has an alternate personality. Right. So, I mean, the movie doesn't handle anything about this well. And then as far as, like... Marla with her suicide attempt, her quote about that is, this isn't a real suicide thing. This is probably one of those cry for help things, which just like completely minimizes it's suicidality. so cavalier, and it's supposed to make her seem like a manipulative woman. And uh, or the manic pixie nightmare lady. <laughs> Meth is Deschanel. <laughs> <laughs> just took a bottle of pills. I don't know, I'm crazy like that. Like. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the mental illness is not treated. One of the things I, w I was retroactively grateful for, just based on how mental illness is treated in, in a lot of movies, is at the very, very, very least, they don't name what the narrator is supposed to have. I think if they had named a specific mental disorder that Jack was supposed to have, which almost certainly would not have been portrayed remotely correctly, that would have been 10 times worse Very true. than not naming it because so often it's like anyone who's named bipolar in a movie is fucking over every functional bipolar person in, mm -hmm. the, in the world. Or you get the case of Halloween where the killer is diagnosed by his psychiatrist as evil. <laughs> <laughs> is that not a legitimate diagnosis? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't read the the As um, a very young DSM girl. in a while. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's great that they didn't name a specific mental illness, and I'm sure that did a lot of good. But also, it could have. I don't know if that was the intention so much as like now right. we can mix and match the coolest symptoms mm. and then create the coolest ill person. Like insomnia <laughs> is like a cool disease, right? Thank you. Yeah, and like, and becoming someone cool—that sounds like a cool symptom. Like, if the side effects were like, true. you might have trouble sleeping, but you'll be real cool. Yeah, <laughs> you'll, you'll be also so be productive. fucking Brad Pitt, and you'll yeah. start a cult. You're ripped. Yeah, you're right. This could have done a lot of good for the mental <laughs> mentally ill community. I <laughs> no, mean, I, that that does make a lot of sense, though. Yeah, it is. It does seem to be like kind of copy pasting a lot of different symptoms just to make Brad Pitt possible. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this movie is about a group of men who clearly need therapy, and then they're like, what if we just punch the shit out of each other instead? We got this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, Edward Norton's character must have had good health insurance because he's seen getting fixed. So I'm like, well, you probably could see a therapist, bud. Right. His, it seems like at his job, he's got, which is another thing that is so 90s about this movie. I'm like, he can just go to the doctor? Like, that was something <laughs> I was thinking. I was like, I wish I could just get in a fight and go to a doctor, but unfortunately, I must bleed to death. Like, can't go to a fucking doctor? Imagine. Do you think podcasters can see doctors? They can't. They can't. 
Is there anything else that anyone wants to talk about? I think the name is great. <laughs> Fight Club? Because it, it's two things that dudes love, right? Violence and being exclusive about it. Fair. And you know immediately there's no girls in that Fight Club. We know. We know. They what even the say that in the movies. Like, there's a conversation with like Marla, and Jack is like, I found a new support group. And she's like, what is it? And he, he's like, it's for men only. Yeah, yeah. And Marla rhymes with Darla, like from the Little Rascals. And Singer is a recognized name brand of sewing machine sexist. Oh, wow. I'm not the only one tin-hatting over here, then. <laughs> uh, the last thing I, I, I had in my too many notes is uh, just the, the way that sex is treated in this movie is treated like it's both a weakness and a physical illness, where every way sex is depicted is made to be extremely grotesque. And even in this extremely, like, rigidly heteronormative movie, that, yeah, I mean, it's like sex with Marla is, we're told, and from what we see, is supposed to be gross. Yeah. Like, it's, and, and paired with what you were saying earlier of everyone is always like, is my dick hard? Are my boobs falling off? Like, everyone is physically decaying and, and their teeth are, you know, the men are having their teeth punched out and their mm -hmm. bodies are being desecrated and every woman in the movie thinks they have breast cancer and it's just like everything about the physical body and, and sex is made to seem like this big disgusting, I mean, maybe they got that right, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I mean, the only <laughs> other named woman in the Named female oh, character in the movie, Chloe. Chloe. She's dying of, of cancer, I think we uh, are meant to assume. Basically, she says, um, I no longer have a fear of death. And everyone's like, that's great. And then she says, but I'm very lonely. No one will have sex with me. And all I want to do is just get laid one last time. And then she does this whole thing where she's like frantically being like, I have lube. Does anyone here want to have sex with me? And, and it's made, she's made to just seem very pathetic and to be like fair, desperate. I do that. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings me to my next point. <laughs> I have lube. <laughs> Um, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> she is just done a huge disservice by the movie as well. And then, and then she dies. We find out uh, Marla tells as Jack. As a super afterthought. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's the, the, the way everything, that character. I mean, yeah, like she's made to look like Marla, physically repulsive, mm -hmm. which is, and which the, p the characters that the movie chooses to make look physically repulsive to the narrator because it always is in relation to Jack. Like, Jack thinks Marla, Chloe, and Bob are disgusting. Right. And those three characters, I mean, it's the two women that we meet and the one man who it has feminine traits. Right. Um, so Edward Norton hates women. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's use the transitive property. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, Chloe's character, I mean, it, it's it's unfortunate because she's, again, like one of the not completely nihilistic characters in the... And any, I mean, anyone who isn't subscribing to this, like, boring fuckboy edgelord nihilism <laughs> is killed. <laughs> like, it's fucking ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, this is... It's at the very top of the red flag fave movies list. 
If someone says that they still, you know, hold a candle for this movie, run in the other direction. They're very dangerous. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's right up there. It is, yeah. With you know, what the rock, the the rock, gosh, drive. Yeah. What else? Um, we've made a we've made a list. Oh fuck! What's the Al Pacino Scarface? Scar oh god Jesus. yeah Scarface. Oh what's <laughs> the one with the Irish guys? Oh the Boondock Saints. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that one either. Oh, yeah. God, most Quentin Tarantino movies are just white guys who want to say the N word. <laughs> like, it's just all you know. Don't meet anyone and don't <laughs> spend time with anyone is the lesson. Really. Yeah. Do we have any questions or comments from the crowd? Yeah, do we miss anything, gang? Yes. Here, I'll come to you so you can talk into the mic. What's your name? My name is Marina. Hi, um, Marina. And I always loved Martha Stewart, and so has my mother. And she would randomly yell, free Martha, when she was in jail. And she always was saying if she was a man, she would have never gone to prison for insider trading. Do you think that's true? <laughs> your mom is right <laughs> I mean obviously your mom is right but I mean although I, I, I do think that at least Martha Stewart got the street cred she rightfully deserved <laughs> as a shameless girl boss capitalist mm. I mean she's yeah I mean I personally stan Martha she's probably evil but you know, some people, I, I've wiped my butt with a lot of her towels, so <laughs> I guess I feel close to her the way you would feel close to a Charmin bear. Do you, Jamie. She's innocent. I wiped my ass with towels. <laughs> yeah. I a lot. Okay. Well, I meant uh, when you're what? No, wait, hold okay. it. <laughs> Wipe, it implies. Like when you're, Bodies. I meant like after a shower. Oh, so you, you dry your ass. I've got a big ass. I've got to dry it with a towel. Circular. Yeah, so, so do we dry. all. Well, does anyone else have a question? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, we've got if someone. If you want to come, 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 up, yeah, come, come up, up closer to the stage if you can. My name is Rachel. Jamie, I bought you a PBR. So <gasps> later on, I know. So they're holding it for you back there. Wow, I thank know. you. So with Marla, I feel like my whole relationship with Marla is creepy. Do you think that her sleeping with the narrator could be rape because he didn't know that he was sleeping with her and then she asked about it later? Or like sexual assault? Okay, yeah. I just want to make sure you're, I'm understanding the question. So like it was later on when she comes back and she's asking like about Tyler and oh, Tyler's not here, but it's like he's already had sex with her and not acknowledging it. Uh, like that's kind of creepy. Totally. So wait, is the implication that she is raping him? No, that he's oh, raping that he's her. raping. Okay. Oh. Huh. That's an interesting... I, I hadn't thought of it in that the, way. In the sense that he's not being truthful about his identity? And that he doesn't her? remember it. And that he doesn't... Yeah, I mean, he never remembers it. It's his thing. Fuck. We never see the actual scenes, though, right? Yeah, I guess that, that that's an interesting... I, I, I'd be interested to like talk about that more, and I feel like I need to watch the movie again to answer that yeah. question better. And I never want to watch this movie again. <laughs> but um, yeah, I haven't given that 
I that, but but I understand where you're coming from. I mean, that's an interesting question. I don't know. Does anyone have opinions on that? There was I heard some some murmurs of agreement. Yes. Hey, what was your name? Sorry to get so physically close. <laughs> um, I prefer not to say my name, but sure. As far as um, horrible mistakes that we may or may not have made in high school with regards to drugs and alcohol and sex. Uh, mutual non-consent is very much a real thing that a lot of us have to work through in terms of ways that we were irresponsible and were also hurt. And I feel like this movie does not handle that well. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what that's an instance of is neither party being in a sober, present, and active mental capacity for consent. Yeah, mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense to me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. that's helpful. Thank you. No, that was you guys should hang out. This is, this is, uh, any any other there questions? Was a, I think oh yes, question there was the someone back. in the back. Oh goodness. Multiplying. Come on, come on down. Okay. Um, I just want to know what y'all think about Jared Leto's character. Um, who just Boo. because you talk, you talk about uh, femininity being painted as disgusting or repulsive. And Jared Leto is described as beautiful, and then uh, Edward Norton beats the shit out of him because he wanted to destroy something beautiful. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, as we all know, Jared Leto is not beautiful. <laughs> like, so. No. No. Right off the bat, it's like, who was like, we need someone beautiful? And they cast Jared Leto and made him look like a neo Nazi. Clearly, you haven't seen the first half of Requiem for a Dream because he's pretty beautiful. I haven't how'd seen you, that movie. How did you get through the second half and just forget that? Just and go forget back that <laughs> part. But it, I know. liked his face tattoo when he was the Joker. <laughs> but you like, when I mean, he was damaged boy. He, uh, yeah, he's described as beautiful, and then Jack. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, beats him to a pulp, and in the next scene, you see him, and his like face is pretty badly disfigured. Yeah. Um, so that I mean that is just yet another horrible thing, Edward. Norton does. And if you're given the choice between, they're like, you can date Edward Norton or Jared Leto, you're like, I would, <laughs> I'd rather be, you know, I'm okay. I guess I'm just not going to have sex anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel good about that. Does that answer your question? What, at all? Uh, yeah. uh, a few more hands went up. All right. Yes. Yeah. You. you. I just want to say, when we watched this the other day, my girlfriend did also refer to her as a nightmare pixie dream girl. <laughs> Um, and probably a bad question, but if there were a role that Alfred Molina would play in this movie, what do you think it would be? Do you think it would make it better? Or do you think that Alfred Molina is too much of a classy person to go anywhere near this project? You know, Alfred, everyone makes mistakes. Let's say in theory he'd make this mistake. I hope if he made this mistake, as a close personal friend of mine at this point, <laughs> um, I hope if he made this mistake, he would make it 100% of the way, and it would be like, you know, like when Deep Roy was all the Oompa Loompas? Mm. It would be like an all Alfred Molina <laughs> reboot of Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> and he would play every character. Like, and you would be so confused. If it was all Alfred Molina, first of all, it would take years to shoot. And... <laughs> <laughs> but but so so there'd be slight age differences, which would be interesting. I don't know. But so at the end, when you find out that Alfred Molina and Alfred Molina were the same person, <laughs> you'd just be like, oh, I guess that makes sense. 
So that's what I would do. I think <laughs> I think he is too classy to be anywhere near this movie. I mean, he's our friend. So. He's our, we know him. He's our friend. He touched um, my dog. Yeah. <laughs> We're friends. Uh, my question's not going to be anywhere as good as that one was. Um, Jamie, since you read the book, I was wondering that since David Fincher is a garbage person, yes, yes, yes. if maybe there was some director that could go over it and adapt it again, like a Paul Verhoeven, who is a little bit more experienced with doing like fascist satire, if maybe that mm. would make it more redeemable as a, as a work. That's interesting. Um, I have a great question. Like full disclosure, I have not read the book proper in many years, but I I went back over like what was changed in the adaptation and, and all that stuff before when we were prepping for this episode. I don't know. It's that's like kind of I don't know. I worry that right now, like our culture as it is, does not seem very prepared for satire. There seems to be such like a. <laughs> everything that's happening feels like a badly written satire and so I don't I mean I don't know I think that you know hopefully in years where people are not constantly <laughs> descending into active hell as we are now um, that I, I, I guess if, if an adaptation was done that I don't know took the original author's biases into account and was able to Clearly, I mean, it's hard. It seems hard for a filmmaker to demonstrate when something is clearly satire. But David Fincher, I mean, I don't know. I kept thinking this as we were watching this movie. I was like, David Fincher probably thinks Elon Musk is awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I don't know if this source material is is worth readapting. And I think if yeah. I think it's important to send the message that like consumerism and capitalism are bad and I think a much better movie that does that is of course Titanic. Josie and the Pussycats <laughs> so I think we just need to keep making let's see some Josie sequels like what <laughs> and then I, that kind of reminded me of how I was like oh this is an incredibly white movie there are oh, yes. no I, like hardly any if any people of color in the There's movie Raymond, and that's <laughs> pretty much it yeah, and then there's, you know, there, there, as we discussed, there are hardly any women in the movie. But then I was, I was like, do I want those people to be in Fight Club? I don't, I don't want anyone to be in Fight Club. I, I don't, don't know if I would wish Fight Club on the world again. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably a nah for me, dog. Mm. <laughs> another adaptation. We had, we had another question. Yeah, we have. A, yes. I think we have time for one more. Hey, I'm Andrew. Um, same birthday as Alfred Molina, by the way. <gasps> yeah, not wow. to brag, but <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on something. So I read the book too, not to, you know. <laughs> I got a couple literatis in there. <laughs> I like read it once and didn't really like it. My dad still buys me Chuck Palahniuk books, and I'm like, please stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, Marla's line I think was something along the lines of uh, when she says, "I haven't been fucked like that since grade school." Is originally. I want to have your abortion, so I want to know your thoughts. Yeah, like, I read that. Hey, I have agency, and I'm making a joke about like what I can do with my body instead of this thing happened to me and it was terrible. Well, David Fincher hates women, so <laughs> think that that is the beginning, middle, and end of that. Uh, uh, well, David Fincher note, is evil. Does this movie pass the Bechdel test? <laughs> Say it with us. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's a hard no. Big fat no. Um, <laughs> the what if it did? <laughs> The you have to be like feminist tax, we take it all back. Right. 
The only moment where it, where women even interact is when Chloe is being like, "Someone please fuck me right now," and then uh, another unnamed woman says, uh, "Thanks, Chloe," and then pulls her away from the microphone. So. That's the only time women interact in the whole movie. What if it's like super meta and Tyler Durden spliced in a scene of like two sisters discussing Judith Butler? Wow. <laughs> and we just didn't see it. Yeah. We saw it. <laughs> Instead of that big, like that dick shot at the end, <laughs> it's just <laughs> feminist talks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, what a missed opportunity. So wait, was Edward Norton working part-time jobs at night? I guess, yeah. He was doing the projectionist thing. And uh, Industrious. I love him. <laughs> I take it all, everything we said back. Um, yeah, this does not, this no. doesn't. Um, hey, uh, should we just also have the audience announce how many nipples we give this movie? Yes, let's do that. On Ready? the count of three. One, two, three. Zero! Amazing! Correct! <laughs> Katie, do you dispute that at all? No. <laughs> okay. Does not merit any nipples. Yeah, none. No, uh, no. Although if, if it did, which it doesn't, but if it did, it would be Jill's nipples, which is gets said in the movie. Remember when he's like, oh, I'm Jack's medulla oblongata. I'm Jill's nipples. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe they let Edward Norton say nipples. I guess. <laughs> ruined nipples for me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, zero nipples. Yeah, it's just, you know, Marla is treated like shit by the characters and by the movie. Every, I mean... The I mean, every, the concept of femininity is treated like shit. Yeah. Um, any man who displays a traditionally feminine uh, trait is murdered. <laughs> like, it's just... The, the glorification of men punching each other is... And really does like give an eff down to the. I mean, we didn't talk about the symbolism of soap, which you know, I guess you could read any college freshman's essay if you want to read about the symbolism of soap in Fight Club. But you know, the whole concept of like women are dumb enough to have their own fat sold back to them. It just has like contempt of mm -hmm. women and glorifies the most toxic possible masculinity to the point where it's like ineffective laying out of like the incel lifestyle yeah. yeah so if that was what they were trying to do they were successful <laughs> so congratulations to the movie fan club <laughs> for radicalizing people and ruining the world oh thank well, god for shrek <laughs> <laughs> katie Thank you so much for being here. Yes, give, give it, it up for, Katie. for our guest, Katie Wynn. Thank you. Where can people follow you online? Is there anything you would like to plug? Yeah, Instagram, Twitter, KT Nuggin. It's easier to spell than my last name. Uh, <laughs> KT N U G G I N. Oh, yeah, I have a website, Katie Wynn.com. My brother made it. Wow. Uh, and one time he held it hostage. But <laughs> <laughs> it's up now. <laughs> And I'll fight him if it goes down again. <laughs> Whoa. Thanks again for being yeah, here. Thank Thanks you to so all much. of you for coming to the show. Thanks. Give it up for Curious Comedy Theater for yeah. having us. Have a good night. Yeah, thanks for coming. There you go. There you go. It's a feminist text, just like we all suspected. We, uh, we broke the first couple rules because we talked about... 
Fight Club. Yeah, which means that we can't be really cool fascists, <laughs> which is too bad. Yeah. Um, thank you again uh, to Curious Comedy Theater for having us. Thank yes. you to everyone who came to our Portland shows. Thank you to Katie. Um, follow her on all the socials. She's wonderful. Thanks and to Sammy Junio, friend of the show, yes. for recording for us. And Road for just dog. For road dogging with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, check us out on uh, all, the, all the regular socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Bechtelcast. Check out our live shows, uh, which we talked about at the top, and get some merch at tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast. And our Matreon, don't forget about that. Oh, yeah. $5 a month patreon.com slash bechtelcast mm-hmm. gets you two bonus episodes every month yeah uh and in march holy shit it <laughs> is what are we calling it zach efron march we're calling it zach marchron or okay. march efron so high school musical and 2007 hairspray a not to be missed month on the matreon yeah. so scoot over you're gonna want to sign up yeah um and thank you for listening yeah see you next week bye bye Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.